0: that keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture so that you can participate in conversations with your friends. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon. I'm Tana. And today we're going to be making a bit of a departure from our normal format instead of talking about a specific uh, movie or film, or sorry, movies and films are the same thing. (laughs) Um, But rather than talking about a specific thing, uh, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving here on the Pop Culture Footnotes pod and talking about things that we are grateful for. Um, to give you a bit of background, we are limiting ourselves to things from the past year, not just things that have come out in the last year, but things that we have personally consumed in the last year um, and are grateful for. So, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What do we want to start with? We're thinking movies, TV, books, music. Movies! Movies! <laughs> good Why choice. not? Solid <laughs> choice. All right. Shannon, why don't you kick it off? I'm <laughs>
1: oh, gonna go for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you picked movies. You gotta go first. Yeah, um, okay, so um, this is really tough because I go to a lot of movies, and <laughs> so I consume so much. Um, I'm actually gonna go with the film that I saw last night for the first time because <laughs> it's now my favorite movie of the year. Um, it's called Lady Bird. Um, and it's so brilliant. Um, it's written and directed by Greta Gerwig. Such a crush on her. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, I don't think I've actually seen a lot that she's done, so I maybe shouldn't be fan girling over her this much. But um, yeah, so it's a little bit like semi autobiographical, um, but the main star in it is Sersha Ronan. Um, and if you've seen, like, Brooklyn or other things she's been in, this is a pretty big departure from that, Mm -hmm. um, it's this high school-aged girl that lives in Sacramento, California, um, and it's basically, it's hard to describe what the plot of this film is, but, um, her name is Christine, but she's named herself Lady Bird, Mm -hmm. and so that's what everyone calls her in the film, and she, um... I don't know. It's just kind of about being a high school senior in the early 2000s. So um, she lives in California, but really wants to go um, to school in the East Coast because she thinks she'll get more culture and stuff. She goes to this Catholic high school, um, but she's very unconventional, so it's kind of funny that she's there. Um, there's kind of a weird relationship between her and her mom, who's played by Laurie Mac- and Metcliffe, who is so wonderful. I know her from The Big Bang Theory where she plays Sheldon Cooper's mother, but um, she's so good in this role, and um, a lot of it is just the two of them um, like quibbling back and forth to each other. Um, Christine or Lady Bird wants to go back East for school, but she also doesn't really have the grades to do that, which people keep telling her. They're like, ha, you you can't do that. Or (laughs) her mother is like, you should just go to community college and then go to jail and then go back to community (laughs) college because you're not really worth it. And so you kind of get a sense of the relationship they have. Um, if you check out the trailer for it, I saw it so many times and was like, this is a thing I have to see. Um, It was just touching to me, I guess, because it's, um, I don't know. I I feel like it's, the experience of it is so universal to us all that when you're a senior in high school or when you're in high school, you're like, I just want to get out of here. I don't, I'm mad at my parents. I don't love where I come from. But then the second you're out, it's like, oh, I'm actually really grateful for all of the experiences I've had. And I love my parents and actually understand what they sacrificed for me and, um so it's this girl who kind of comes to realize <laughs> that she actually likes where she's from and her family and all of that so mm-hmm. it's just so charming and um i don't know we get so many blockbusters and superhero movies and things but to have just a quiet quirky true-to-life film like that i think is so nice so mm-hmm. ladybird <laughs>
2: nice how about you tana uh, so mine is one that I saw at Sundance. It's now at it's on Netflix now, I believe, streaming. It's called Strong Island. Uh, it is from uh, Yancey Ford is the director, I believe. It's a documentary film. Um, Yancey Ford's brother William Ford was uh, shot and killed in 1992, and Yance is kind of making a documentary about. Um, Uh, like originally they had wanted it to be a story of this uh black man being shot by a white man and then the the white guy getting off basically like he didn't get any charges he claimed it was self-defense and was not like they was let off the hook completely um but it actually becomes this uh narrative about the aftermath of dealing with somebody who was shot and justice was never served um so there's a lot of looks at um Yance's own journey after losing his brother as well as uh, the family's kind of um, Issues and hang-ups and stuff Uh, The dad has a stroke pretty soon after and the mom has a lot of health problems and stuff a lot related to The stress of this kind of tumultuous experience Um, I am grateful for it uh, because so last year with the last couple years coming off of the like hashtag Oscars so white and stuff um, we decided, me and my partner decided this year at Sundance to, or as in this last one, <laughs> um, and something that we are wanting to try to do is, it's really easy for me to tweet something, retweet something and be like, hashtag Oscar's so white, um, mm-hmm. without doing a lot else. And mm-hmm. taking advantage of um, supporting a trans person of color's film at like in the film the, the film festival circuit, um, when things are a little bit more up in the air, when a lot of they're getting a lot of support from the, like movies are getting picked up and stuff. Um, that is why we picked it, picked this one. and it w- like I was just blown away by it. Um, it's moving, and I cried for most of it. And Yonsei, the director and subject, kind of was present and uh, really sick, had almost no voice, but was there answering questions. and it was just like a really, really powerful uh, moving story and I recommend it to everybody. So.
1: That's so nice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <a death> <laughs> yeah. Well, for mine, um, I picked Logan Lucky. Um, so that film, if you don't, if you didn't see it in the summer, um, was not a huge success, at least by normal standards, because, uh, it's, it's like the redneck Ro- Oceans 11 where it's like this group of people like rob a NASCAR track, right? So it wasn't, it, I mean, Andrew went and saw it. I did not see it. He was not that impressed by it. <laughs> um, but the reason why I have it on my list of things I'm grateful for this year is because of the way that that movie was made. It was so different. Um, so if you don't know the background behind that, Logan Lucky was made... Uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so basically, uh, Soderbergh... What's his first name? I forget. Steven. Steven. Steven Soderbergh. Um, he's the maker of this movie, and he brought in all of these really high-profile actors like Daniel Craig and um, other people. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, um, instead of going through a studio where the studio um, has creative control because they have financial control over the making of the movie... Um, they raised like 29 million dollars which was like what they were going to need to actually cover the cost of making the film Um, and all of the actors agreed to work for like a portion of the of the um, ticket sales and stuff so
1: wow
0: yeah um, so they didn't have like you know the multi million dollar yeah. salary yeah. regardless of how well the film did. So they're all In invested. this film
1: too. I mean, we should say mm-hmm. also as Channing Tatum, yes, Adam Driver, who yes. yes. yeah. <laughs> is my <laughs> I love him yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Riley Keough who's becoming more of a thing and yeah. there's a lot of there's a high lot profile of people, people yeah. Katie Holmes yeah and <laughs> they, they all agreed to work for scale which is amazing yeah. Um, so
0: awesome. yeah and then as far as like marketing and distribution they were like well we're not going to market it all that much but we do need some marketing and normally that's all handled by the studio that's one of the reasons yeah. why most people go through a studio um, and when people don't go through the studio and it's through like you know independent it doesn't get well marketed it doesn't get wide wide releases um, it's much more of an art house type thing. Yeah. And he was like, well, no, in order for this movie to be successful, like it needs to have a wide release and have some marketing behind it. So instead of going through a studio where a studio will do all the marketing and handle the release itself where they contact individual like Megaplex owners, um, they rather than sorry, but in exchange for that, they get like 15% of sales revenue mm-hmm. and then they deduct all their costs and then whatever's left over goes to the owners of the film. Um, so rather than doing that, they hired a very small film marketing company called Bleecker street and they paid them like a token fee of like less than a million dollars and they just said, okay, you're handling all the marketing
1: (laughs) and, um, Uh
0: and yeah. And I think they also handle distribution as well. Um, but then it, they, the contract stipulated that if they made a certain, like if the movie hit a certain threshold as far as success, at that point, Leaker Street would then get residuals from ticket sales. Um, so basically it made it so that everybody involved was heavily invested in the film's success. It made it so that um, the creators of the film had the ultimate artistic control over the film. And I love that. I'm extremely grateful for that um, because if that model be, gets you know more of more sway in Hollywood, it's going to really influence the quality of films moving forward. Logan Lucky, like it wasn't a terrible movie, um, but and that's the other thing about this way of making movies: it's a lot cheaper, and therefore the the threshold for what is considered successful is a lot lower. Um, you know, these days with these big studio films, if it doesn't make a killing the first weekend, it's dead. You know, yeah. and with a film like Logan Lucky, that's not the case. You can just appreciate art in all of its forms, which I love. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say I really liked that movie a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't know the backstory of it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was excellent. I think, um, yeah. I don't know, we get a lot of it, like with these Star Wars movies too, mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking of now, where you have directors that want to take it a certain direction, and mm-hmm. we keep seeing them being replaced because you have Disney at the top, mm-hmm. who's like... That's off-brand yes. for us. Yes. Oh, me. <laughs> oh. But then everything starts becoming so formulaic, right? Yes. And we talked um, on Andrew's podcast about like Disney taking over Fox, and how we need... Di- that's not good, because we lose voices yeah, no, exactly. in the
0: industry, so that's great. And yeah, if, that's this, great. if this model of filmmaking takes off, it makes it so that you don't don't have to go through a studio and you can have like, instead of having the four or five major voices, which granted is better than one or zero, but you can now suddenly have hundreds of voices all adding
1: to the artistic zeitgeist. Yeah. yeah. And my brain is always like, how does that affect the Oscar campaigns? (laughs) 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 Currently there's a lot of money involved to get Mm -hmm. your film out there. And so sometimes smaller films don't win because they don't have money to do it. Yeah interesting yeah very interesting
0: (laughs) all right let's move on to
1: um should we do tv shows next yeah all right yes yes. i'm so excited about this one um okay so the tv show i chose is crazy (laughs) ex-girlfriend um which is on the cw um it was originally created for showtime um which you can tell from the content of the show it is not a lot of the times it's not appropriate for to TV you're, you're shocked that they get away with what they do um, It's because they made it for Showtime um, For so it's currently in its third season it is last year it was the lowest rated thing on TV period um, and somehow got picked up for another season um, and I'm incredibly grateful for that um, the plot of this show at least in its first season um, and the previous seasons are on Netflix if you want to check them out um, it's about Rebecca Bunch, who is working as a lawyer in New York City, and um, she. <laughs> so she's stressed. She has um, a big point of the show is that she's got um, like depression and anxiety and kind of these mental things going on with her, um, and so working in New York is not has not really been a great situation for her. Um, she's about to make partner, but then she's kind of stressed out about it, goes out into the street and runs into her ex-boyfriend from summer camp um, Mm -hmm. when she was like a teenager. Um, Josh Chan is his name. And she thinks, Oh, this is a sign that like I need to get back with my ex-boyfriend. Um, and he says, Oh, but I'm actually moving out of New York and going back to his hometown of West Covina, California. And I know
2: where that so, is. So, Yeah, <laughs> I actually so, yeah. don't. <laughs> it's, it's small,
1: and it's only three hours from the beach, which is like a <laughs> thing they keep making fun of, but anyway, so she decides um, after just this chance encounter with him to move to West Covina, California <laughs> to pursue him, um, and... I wanted to play, so the best part about this show is it's a musical, um, (laughs) and a lot of it is kind of like going on in Rebecca's head is kind of what we presume, so she'll um, be going through situations and then characters burst into song. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to play the theme song of it, because I think that kind of sets up the tone of this a little bit. I
2: was working hard at a New York
1: job, maybe but it made me blue. Day, I was crying a lot and so I decided to move to West Alina, California. Brand new pals and new career. It happens to be where Josh lives, but that's not why I'm here. She's the crazy ex-girlfriend. What? No I'm not. She's the crazy ex-girlfriend. That's a sexist term. She's the crazy ex-girlfriend. Can you guys stop singing for just a second? She's so broken inside. The situation's a lot more nuanced than that. C-R-A-Z-Y- Okay, we get it. Crazy ex girlfriend. <laughs> um yeah, so it's excellent, because from the premise of it, you're like, wow, well, this is the most sexist thing ever. Um, but it is more nuanced than that, as <laughs> she says the song. Um, and it deals, I mean, is someone who struggles with depression, like, I really appreciate how it takes on uh, the issues that she has. Um, I don't know, it brings all sorts of interesting commentary into it through the songs. Um, but yeah, it's... Excellent, and I would recommend people watch it. (laughs) Very irreverent, if you're not into (laughs) that, though, so maybe beware. Yeah. How
2: about you, Tim? This one TV was tough for me. I watch a lot of um, a lot of Netflix series, specifically, uh, and I was having a really hard time choosing. And then I realized that like the bulk of mine all have in common uh, that they deal in funny and also like really kind of serious ways with mental illness. Um, so the one that I picked, like I was thinking about Bojack Horseman and like a couple of other options. And the one that I went with is, um, Lady Dynamite, uh, which is on Netflix. It's second season currently just came out, uh, like a week or two ago. It was actually really, um, soon around the Louis CK thing. So I was like using my platform on Twitter to be like, (laughs) forget Louis, are so many great old comics that you can support. (laughs) Um, so Lady Dynamite is uh, played by, like, so the, the main character is Maria Bamford. Uh, she is an alt comic in the first season. There are lots of fun little cameos. Um, Pat Oswalt makes an appearance, John okay. Mulaney shows up, <laughs> uh, a bunch of different, like, it's fun. Uh, but it's actually, so it's very hard for a lot of people to watch because Maria Bamford uh, is diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder. Uh, And so she has a really depressed phases and really manic phases. And the filmmaking is a lot like that with specific commentary on the entertainment industry. So I really like season two because, uh, one of the things that it does is this kind of disjointed timeline where you get present Maria. You also get like the future Maria of like what could be, and then like past Maria of how she grew up and was raised and kind of what influenced her to be who she is. And, uh, in Future Maria of the second season, she Elon Musk owns everything and there is a Musk vision that is like Netflix basically <laughs> and she has a story that's called like Lady Shazam or something it's like very similar <laughs> and she's actually very critical of Netflix uh, a lot of like the story changes and like the alt- like the way that things are changed to make it more um, palatable for audiences mm-hmm. like it starts out supposed to be like a meta version of hers, the, the show that you're watching but it ends up being like this sci-fi drama or something that <laughs> like they're in space now because yeah. like that's what customers want um, so it's actually really critical and one of the reasons that I love it so much is that in the last season she did a lot of things and got feedback on it um, she had an episode that was about um, race for example like that, that commented a lot on race and she got a lot of feedback on it and in season 2 she like stops the filming and like breaks the fourth wall and stares at the audience mm-hmm. and she's like for example I can comment on the failures from the first season as she goes through and lists off all the things that she did wrong in the first season um, like having a race episode written entirely by white people mm-hmm. um, and she also recently she used a term that in trans communities is a little bit uh, derogatory in the second season the last episode and somebody called her out on Twitter, just some like random person was like, that's actually kind of an epithet, and I'm kind of sad that you used it. And she retweeted them and immediately said, I'm so sorry. Uh, like, if it hurt you, it's a hurtful thing, and I was not intending to do something hurtful, and I will be better. Um, and I love that. That's like, <laughs> um, as, as things are swirling about all of these other male comedians who are refusing to own up to things and, and hiding them and, and denying them, uh, it's really beautiful and refreshing that there are uh, different comics that you can support. Yeah, Yay. definitely. Um,
0: I, even right now, I am still struggling to narrow it down to one thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a few, mm-hmm. um, so I'm going to... Give a bit of each. I'm going to give it of each, the plan. So one is uh, a new show on Fox called The Orville. Which I don't know if you guys had watched that. It's Seth MacFarlane. I can't do Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> I know, and I totally understand. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane for me is always like hit or miss. Like some of his stuff, I really love. Like he has, he's a legitimate musician. Like his musical albums, I love. Um, a Family Guy, I both love and hate. Um, Other Seth MacFarlane things mostly I hate and I was really skeptical about this this particular (laughs) show, but I love it because it is like the epitome of somebody who grew up watching something, so in Seth MacFarlane's case it's Star Trek Enterprise, and then grew up and now gets the chance to write it and does this beautiful homage. And the Orville, is, it was marketed as like a parody type show, yeah. but it's not. It's like a legit Star Trek-like show. And it's, it has these moments of like really great sincerity. And it's not afraid to tackle big issues. Like there's, um, yeah. in like one of the first episodes, there's a character who's like, you know, one of the commanders on the ship. And he comes from a planet where everybody is male. And therefore, they all have male partners and they have male babies. They give birth to a female and they immediately want to do a sex change operation. And so people on the ship are, like, debating about whether that's ethically right. And mm-hmm. then, like, one of the parents decides, you know what, I want to let her decide when she's old enough to decide. And we're not going to make that choice for her. And the other one is like, no, if, you know, if we do that, she's going to be completely shunned from our community. And it's, it's this really interesting, wow. like, heavy <laughs> episode that is, this. it's not afraid to tackle these bigger issues. But it does it all in this really, like, fresh, lighthearted way. Um, and it does have genuinely funny moments as well. So I, as somebody who enjoys Star Trek, I'm really, really (laughs) grateful for this show. I have not had a chance to watch Star Trek Discovery, the actual Mm. new Star Trek show (laughs) because it's only on CBS All Access and I have a membership through work and I just have not taken the time to watch Mm -hmm. it, but I really enjoyed the Orville. So there's that. Um, I'm also really grateful for Doctor Who this year. Um, this season, they had a gay companion, which I really liked, um, and she actually had some personality as opposed to the previous companion, so I'm grateful for that. I'm also really grateful that Stephen Moffat is leaving the show, <laughs> and I'm really grateful for Jodi Whitaker Yay! as the new Doctor. I'm really excited about that. So. Uh, and then the last thing is, uh, speaking of Patton Oswald, he had a new Netflix special called Annihilation. And um, there were parts that were wildly inappropriate, Have you watched it. Uh-uh. Okay, it's really good. It's really good. Like, there are some parts that, like I said, wildly inappropriate. But it's really funny. Um, it tackles the whole Trump thing. Patton Oswald is outspoken anti-Trump. Um, but he approaches that in a very funny way. But also, um, if you don't know who Pat- Patton Oswald is, he recently lost his wife. Um, I think it was like a year and a half ago now. And it was a really hard thing for him and his daughter, and he he talks about it in this special in a very genuine, straightforward, like, way, and I was, it was one of those few comedy specials that I've ever watched where I was just, like, legit crying, and then the next second I was laughing, and I was like, I don't know if it's okay for me to be laughing right now, but, I am. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was really great, it was emotionally moving on multiple levels, so I was, I was grateful for that, so. <laughs>
1: Yay! Yay. Um, So yeah, let's move on to books. Great! This is a total cheat, I'm sorry. (laughs) But if you guys saw the picture of my Halloween costume, you probably know what I'm going to say, and it's The Handmaid's Tale. Um, This book was written in 85, but I read it for the first time this year, and I'm not sure how I call myself a feminist and haven't read The Handmaid's Mm -hmm. Tale before now. Um, But it, uh, especially at this time, it's like... Before I read it, Trump got elected, and after I read it, now we have all of the this whole thing with Hollywood with, you know, no consent and, like, bad things happening. Anyway, so it's just, like, so timely on so many levels. Um, but anyway, written by Margaret Atwood. Um, I, hope, I kind of hope, like, with the TV show, that maybe we talk about this down the road and go more into it. But, I mean, the premise of the book is that, um, so the book takes place in Gilead, which is this um, totalitarian, like, Christian kind of society. Um, and essentially, women are pretty much stripped of all their rights. Um, and because of, like, pollution and disease, like, very few women are able to conceive anymore. And so the ones that they are they are able to conceive are um, called handmaids. And they're kind of forced to uh sleep with elite men in the society in order to help them have a child um and the book is just crazy on so many levels because you've got i mean the women can't read they can't own any property and um anyway so the book follows offer um a handmaid who, and so all the handmaids are named after the men who kind of owned them. So her, um, I don't even know what you call it. It sounds so bad to say that. So it's Fred, who is the commander, the person who um, she's sleeping with. um, So she's called Alfred, And um, yeah, I just, (laughs) this book is so, um, it's just the most important thing I've read all year. And um, I'm kind of cheating a little bit and talking about the show too because I watched show this year, um, obviously. In the show, um, I've been supportive because Margaret Atwood is like a producer, a consultant or something on it. So it expands quite a bit from the book, but in ways that I feel like the original author approves of. And so I feel okay with it. Um, but they show things. The most moving part to me was that, so in the book, um, the commander's wife is Serena Joy. So this kind of, um, this actress who, um, is now married to him, and it's, I mean, have you guys read this? I haven't yet. Okay, well, (laughs) um, these women, it's this weird, like, ceremony where you have, um, so she's got the commander and then the handmaid. And then the woman who is actually married to, you know, the higher up man um, is holding the handmaid as he's like having sex with her. So it feels, it comes, everything that they do in this society comes from the Bible. And so this stemmed from um, Jacob and Rachel being unable to conceive. And so it was it Rachel or Leah, anyhow, they said, you know, take my handmaid. Um, instead and so it kind of stems from that and so they um get it they try to get away with all these horrible things they're doing by saying that it's there's biblical precedence for it um but anyway his wife Serena Joy in it in they expand kind of the stories in the tv show of all the minor characters Um, And in her case, um, the story that they tell is she's actually sort of the person who started this whole society to begin with. She had written a book about how, like, we need to get back to, like, the biblical way of doing Mm -hmm. things and the Christian way of doing things. And in her mind, that is that women stay in the home and they are housewives and um, that kind of thing. And so she's sort of um, the way it was described in a recap online was, oops, I created a sexist tyranny and now I have to live in it.
2: <laughs> um,
1: and it's, it's really hard to watch because on one hand she's, so she kind of establishes this society and decides what they're supposed to do, but then she's kicked out of it because she's a woman. And so she's both in pain because you feel bad for her. She's like, oh, at one point you had some power, now you don't. But it's like, you also are the reason that you have no power. Um, And I feel like this is so true to my life in some ways. Sorry, this is becoming a rant. But like, (laughs) I feel like there are so many women that say, I'm not a feminist, that's wrong. Or we need to stand up for these values. But really, they're undercutting like women having power. And that's really frustrating to me. So anyway, um, it's obviously an extreme situation. But like a lot of little bits of it, you can see it happening in our world. So it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, sure.
2: how about you, Tana? Uh Mine, so, uh, is Universal Harvester, which is written by John Darnielle, who has been brought up on this podcast before. He's the lead singer of The Mountain Goats, um, which is <laughs> that not going to be my musical pick, surprisingly, <laughs> but I had to get him in here somehow. Um, Universal Harvester, so this is his second book after Wolf in White Van. Uh, it, it was billed as a horror book. Um, but it ends up being more of a discourse on, uh, grief and loss. Um, so it starts with this guy, Jeremy, working at a video hut in Nevada, Iowa. Um, (laughs) pronounced Nevada and he, (laughs) people are bringing movies in and they're like, oh, there's something strange in the movie. It's like, it was kind of cut in, like, and he kind of doesn't, doesn't, uh, pay it any mind really. Um, and it keeps happening and he watches it and sees these really unsettling clips that have been spliced into like, she's all that and (laughs) targets like old movies, like just like silly, um, like these VHS things. And then it'll cut to this shed with bodies under tarps and like, uh, like bags over heads and people being kind of like interrogated. Um, and they kind of track it to this, like a farmhouse that is in the middle of nowhere in Iowa and uh he so Jeremy as well as the owner of the video hut Sarah Jane um they're all kind of trying to figure this out they they meet the woman who's making them her name is Lisa you find out that like her mother got involved with a cult when she was very young and abandoned her and her dad and She is splicing in videos of uh, interrogations of cult members trying to find her mom. And she's splicing them in, hoping that somebody who knows her mom or, like, her mom will see them someday and find her, like, be able to be tracked back down to her. Um, But so she is dealing very poorly in a very dangerous way with the loss of her mother. Jeremy also lost his mother, like, the main character lost his mother um, six years prior to when the book takes place. A lot of it is about, like, dealing with grief and loss and mourning. Um, I was kind of... I, I picked it up. I, I love John Darnielle. I picked it up hoping that it would be a horror book and was actually happier with what it became. <laughs> um, so it's also very location-based. Can I read a little bit from it really quick? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for for uh, books that are based in... Like, the, the location is almost like a character. Um, so... It says, uh, we'll start here. Story County was, was prairie until the mid-1800s. In school, they taught a little about the Iowa tribes, but it was hard to get a clear picture of who exactly had been in Stone, Story County when the settlers got there. There had to have been somebody, though. That word Iowa, that was a native word, and lots of places throughout the state were named after those tribes. Sioux City, Tama, Black Hawk. Plus, it was a known thing that tribes had been removed from their land all over the state at some point during the westward expansion. But they didn't really dwell on this too much in high school, so all Jeremy really had was a rough outline. Few few details or none. About his own family, where they were from, he knew a little more. When his grandparents or aunts and uncles got together on the 4th of July or Thanksgiving, it was pretty much all they talked about. All conversations tended towards simple genealogy and geography. Who was related to whom, who lived where now, where they lived in the first place. There was this numbing comfort to it. These conversations, endlessly repeatable to any family in the gathering, was a zero-stakes game. Is Pete still in Tama? No, he got a job over in Marshalltown working for sales in Lenox. Is that the air conditioning people? Well, Pete says climate control. Oh, climate control. Is that it? Sure, sure. Tracing the movements was part of the whole process. Um, And I just love it. Like having grown up in like a small Utah town and Mm -hmm. this is like what families were. is like, oh, are they still in Heber? No, they've moved out to (laughs) Manta or whatever. (laughs) So just like it feels very real and um, beautiful. So,
1: yeah.
2: Great.
0: Uh, for me, my the book that I'm grateful for, so and we've talked about it on, on this podcast, but I branched out a bit <laughs> and started I read some Stephen King.
2: Yeah. And I
0: am really, really grateful that I did. <laughs> I yeah, I've avoided Stephen King for so long, thinking I'm not a horror person. I'm not a horror person, and now all of a sudden I'm like, I
1: might be a horror person. Yeah, yes. <laughs> maybe.
0: I need to read more and just figure it out. Me, but... <laughs> yeah, I still don't. I still don't particularly like a lot of horror movies.
2: But... <laughs> we'll change that. <laughs> yeah,
0: I like being. I like this being... has become a horror podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like being scared but still feel safe. So those are the way to go. Um, but yeah, so I'm really grateful that I read Misery this year. And yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> All
1: <laughs> right, let's nice. talk about music. um, I couldn't settle on, I, I don't consider myself someone who like knows a lot about music. I like what I like. Um, I still listen to 90s country half the time because that's what I grew up on and I still enjoy it. (laughs) Um, but, um, who I've decided to talk about is Jack Antonoff. Um, and it's because I think like secretly everything good in the mainstream music industry has been a result of his work (laughs) recently um so jack Antonoff you probably know mostly from the band fun who Mm. sang we're young and um anyway they had a few hits there he's the lead guitarist there um you may also know him because he dates lena dunham and she's awesome Mm -hmm. but anyway um So he did that, but basically everything that he's done outside of fun is way, way, way better than fun (laughs) as a whole. Um, So before fun, and shout out to Mindy, a friend of mine, for telling me that Steel Train exists, but he had a band called Steel Train um, that's really great. But after fun, and I don't... Maybe they still kind of exist, but his sort of side project um, has been Bleachers, which is... In a day where we have, um, I feel like everything is kind of singles, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't necessarily hear like the whole work of a band; it's just like snippets here and there and whatnot. Um, this is an album, um, "Strange Desires," their first album that I've listened to all the way through so many times and feel like the entire thing is amazing. Um, I don't feel like that's something you get a whole lot anymore, <laughs> at least with like people that are more mainstream. Um, but so that band's awesome and he's the lead singer there i was going to read if i can find it now um his kind of theory on this band was that um you could produce things that sounded like really poppy but he kind of thought like well everything really good is like a little darker and and then everything mainstream and pop everyone says is actually terrible music and he wanted Mm -hmm. to find this like balance between the two so he said, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You don't have to make big pop songs that sound stupid, and you don't have to make these effing apologetic, tired, droney songs that sound incredible. I really wanted both things to happen. Um, and I feel like he achieved that. I'm not one that loves um, a lot of, like, synth. Again, I don't get music stuff, but, like, I like acoustic. I like the real instruments, and he doesn't do that. But I think his, like being more electronic sounding, like he's pretty amazing and he's got the lyrics to back it up too. Um, He writes this one in particular, um, Like River Runs, that talks about, um, it's like he lost someone and it's really moving and I saw them earlier this year and when he sang it, the whole thing sounds like poppy and fast when you hear it but then when he sang it in concert it was slow and mm. quiet and amazing um he did that whole album to basically like in his room <laughs> on a computer so it's pretty incredible um other than his own music um he also has worked with a ton of people so he knew i had to get taylor Swift in there somewhere <laughs> um he co-produced her latest album um and with 1989, I feel like some of the best songs are ones that he co-wrote with her. He co-wrote um, Brave from Sarah Bareilles. He's worked with uh, Carly Ray Jackson who's a person that I feel like is one of the most underrated <laughs> <laughs> artists. I feel like she's amazing and all we think of her is Call Me Maybe. But mm-hmm. anyway, he's worked with Tegan and Sarah, Christina Perry, Grimes, Sia... Um, Lord, he co-produced her latest album as well, St. Vincent, Pink. Um, So there's a bunch of, like, strong women, too. It's always women. And so I love that um, he's kind of making it... it, Well, they were already famous in their own, right? (laughs) But, like, working with these really strong, awesome female artists. Um, Also, with his first album of Bleachers, um, he kind of said... Like, he sings the lead on all of it, and it's gorgeous. But he was like, I actually always imagined it with a woman's voice. Mm-hmm. And so he had all of these um, female artists that came in and redid each of the songs, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the way he imagined it. And so there's a whole album of it that's just female artists. Nice. Um, so anyway, he's awesome, and I love him. <laughs> it's the end of that. I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful for, like, pop that doesn't feel so mainstream like that i don't feel so guilty listening to and liking because there's a big difference between i always make fun of despacito or something like (laughs) that but i think there's a big difference between stuff that's made just to be popular and just to be what they you think people want whereas Mm -hmm. jack Antonoff seems to have more of a vision in mind for what he wants yeah i always feel like pop songs
0: Sound like they were made by a computer algorithm trying to guess yeah. what people to find popular, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, and but then you get real songs that are like written from people's experience and from their hearts. Yeah.
1: So And these are like so catchy. The lead one was <laughs> I wanna get better. And again, it's like one bit with like depression, anxiety and things. I'm like, Oh, it's so good, but then it's so dang catchy too, and I can like run to it on the treadmill. But then you listen to the lyrics of it and you're like, Oh, that's actually really deep. <laughs> so yeah, it's good stuff.
2: You, Tana. Um, so my the album that I've listened to the most. I'm. It's. It's a small local band. I'm just going to mention it, and then I will talk about like the actual like <laughs> the, the bigger one that more people will have heard of. Probably the one that I've listened to the most is my friend Stephen Cope has a band called Officer Jenny, and their most recent album was God of Death, and it's beautiful. Uh, their voices is, is this very like kind of ethereal, wonderful. Uh, I listen to it on repeat, and it's wonderful. So I. That's my local pitch if you want to go find it on iTunes. <laughs> it's definitely on SoundCloud. There you go. Uh, but the big one that I'm talking about is Perfume Genius' No Shape. Um, I follow Perfume Genius for a while. I really like, again, he is a person with uh, kind of a very interesting voice. He sings a lot of the time in a higher register. And past albums have been very um, either sad or pining or um, in a lot of cases kind of... Um, like angry uh he um is uh, like a queer artist and has kind of had to carve out a space for himself like even the way that he sings and stuff is kind of um not the way that you would expect a guy to sing and that's kind of a like middle finger to like standards of <laughs> masculinity in music um but this one is uh, this his most recent album no shape is actually uh, very love, like it's it's beautiful and loving and um, happy, and it's like such a thing that is needed for me in this like dark time. I am so grateful to it uh, for it's. It, it is swelling. Um, there's this really the, this pitchfork article written by Laura Snapes talk compares it to um, Prince and Bowie and Kate Bush. And, That's all like, you need like... to say. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's this really like. Uh, a lot of it is kind of an homage to his current partner um they actually i think met in rehab and so for them to and they they they're like in recovery and they are they have a good relationship and so this kind of like stability um that they found and that he is singing about is really moving and and heartfelt and beautiful so if you want to get into perfume genius it's a great entry point (laughs) I'm also gonna thank Dan
1: on the spot though for like reintroducing me to the Mountain Goats or mentioning it because their latest album Two Goths is so incredible. There you go, you got got your other Mountain (laughs) Goats. I'll just pitch them a few more times too. Yeah,
0: Um, I would say for me, I have a couple. I am grateful for Bruno Mars just in general. He's an amazing performer. Like I like when I watch him perform live. I'm like he reminds me of James Brown. Um,
1: yeah, I love him. Um, Can I tell you yeah. a story about that? <laughs> um, so I have a coworker at work. We do Meals on Wheels, so we deliver. Um, Meals to seniors that can't get out to get meals. And mm-hmm. um, this co worker of mine um, grew up with Bruno Mars in Hawaii. Oh, nice. And so, and he, I mean, looks, he's a lot taller and like a larger man, but um, he dressed up as him for Halloween. <laughs> and we went to deliver Meals on Wheels all in our costumes. And he like sang the songs to the seniors <laughs> as Bruno Mars. It was, it was the sweetest thing. And he sang um, Just the Way You Are to this one woman who just was like tearing up. Oh I and saw he was like tweet about that. Yeah, and she was just like, <laughs> Oh we he said, Oh, you're so beautiful and we love you, Barbara and I'm like, oh <laughs> like, yeah, that's the most beautiful thing. That's so anyway sweet
0: yay yeah. hey bruno yay <laughs> hey bruno and he does have a special coming out like next week i guess by the time people are listening to this it's like a couple days away hmm. but yeah great time. 29th yep wait um, about like <laughs> what sort
1: of like a christmas special <laughs> or what's no, special it's
0: just it's just his first tv special it's okay. called bruno mars 24 Karat magic live at the apollo okay so yeah cool i'm excited about it <laughs> um i'm also really grateful for the rogue one soundtrack Mm-hmm. I found it very moving. Um, Michael Giacchino did a really good job of imitating John Williams without being John Williams, which I really appreciated. But uh, my main one is going to be, um, and we talked about this on the Pop Pop Culture podcast a couple weeks ago. But um, Spotify recently did this Stranger Things quiz mm-hmm. type thing, where basically you can put log into your Spotify membership, and it takes your listening history and recommends a playlist for you that's based around one of the Stranger Things characters so mine was 11 and it's all this like you know really it's very female heavy like girl power rock music from the 80s but also some contemporary stuff and as a result of that like I really love the playlist first of all but um in the past couple of weeks I've been like branching out and expanding my musical tastes in ways that um I haven't ever before because of this playlist. So, for instance, Dolly Parton, I've always hated, but <laughs> Jolene is on the playlist, no, and I Jolene was like, "Is so good. I really <laughs> like. She's actually like a genius. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I really like this song. So maybe really? I should maybe I should look into Dolly Parton's mm-hmm. more. And I have, and I'm like, you know what? I don't hate her anymore there's still some stuff and I'm like it's not quite, I, quite my cup of tea but.
1: I have this theory <laughs> that my like feminist tendencies all come from country <laughs> 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 because you've got Dolly Parton Shania Twain Dixie Chicks there's yeah. a lot of them Alison that, Cross yeah, yeah that have some really good I don't know people think of Stand By Your Man or something yeah. but then you got 9 to 5 with Dolly Parton and yeah. that don't impress me much from Shania Twain oh, and Earl Had to Die and yes! Dixie Chicks <laughs> that's my favorite one <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, but yeah. So my my main thing that I'm grateful for is that Spotify Stranger Things playlist because it's helped me to expand my musical taste. So, yeah, awesome.
1: Any others that we want to talk about? So do we want to do a quick potpourri? Real Yes. Quick? Yes. Okay. Potpourri. Oh <laughs> my going Now do it. Um, my additional one. Um, I've listened to a lot of <laughs> podcasts. There's so many good ones. Um, the one I'd like to recommend is Thirty Six Questions, which is a musical podcast. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the first time that's been done. Um, Jonathan Groff was in it, who I love from lots of things. Um,
2: but <laughs> why are you laughing <laughs> every time? So Jonathan Groff is in Mindhunter. Yes, that he thing, is, which is wonderful. But my friend is also very in love with him and and tweeted Jonathan Groff's butt for the Oscar. And that's now, anytime anyone brings up his name, all I can think of I'm like yeah. his butt for the Oscar. Um, it's
1: great. It goes. <laughs> So the podcast goes after um, the 36 questions. You know that quiz that you'll like instantly fall in love with someone when you Mm -hmm. answer these 36 questions. And it's this couple that fell in love that way. But it turns out that the wife had been, um, she lied about her name, lied about a bunch of stuff in her background. And so they're currently like separated, but she goes to try to win him back in says that they should do the 36 questions again huh. to make them fall in love again huh. so yeah it's a three-part awesome. podcast it's pretty amazing
2: hmm.
1: awesome so, what about
2: you, uh mine is uh a celebrity it's Rhea butcher um if you've ever seen the show uh adam ruins everything hmm. um i am adam because i ruin everything <laughs> Uh, but his sister, uh, Rhea Butcher plays his sister in Adam Ruins Everything, so she is kind of like a side character, shows up sometimes, I think Adam lives at her house in the story for a little bit, um, but she, uh, I specifically want to recommend her Twitter, uh, it's wonderful, she (laughs) hates Nazis, she (laughs) loves baseball, and she is a huge advocate of, um, like, female comedians, so she, she's married to Cameron Esposito, they have a show called, um, Take My Wife on CISO. <laughs> so, they're, they're very funny people. Uh, she, and it's if you like baseball and hate Nazis, follow. She sounds like a true American. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, um, for me, I have
0: two. I On all of these, I can't narrow it down to one. I'm sorry. Um, one is David Tennant. I love that man. If I were not happily married, I would... And he, if he were not happily <laughs> married, I would pursue him. Um... <laughs> But I love him. Everything he everything he touches just turns to gold, in my opinion. But he recently did the Ducktales reboot. Um, he's gonna How be, is that? It's good. It,
1: I've been wanting to watch it, but I'm worried it will good nostalgia. It's not okay. going to. Like the Great.
0: animation style is a little bit different, but yeah. other than that, it's like pitch perfect. Right? Um, yeah, and it's got every everybody in it. I love them, <laughs> um, but none more than David Tennant. So I'm grateful <laughs> for him. Um, <laughs> I am also grateful. Um, for another podcast. And it feels weird to pitch another podcast on my podcast our <laughs> podcast. But um, I really love the podcast Do Go On. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever... It's, I, yeah. it's an Australian podcast. And it's these three comedians who are friends. And they each week they pick a topic. Just a random topic that they don't know much about. And they prepare a report on it. <laughs> and as somebody who enjoys... Having useless bits of trivia in their brain, it is amazing. They did an episode about Disneyland, and I grew up going to Disneyland. I feel like I know everything about it, but they like had all these things in there that I was like, I did not know. This. Yeah. Um, they do. They've done a few like murder mystery type episodes. They've done things on like historical figures, like they did one on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle slash Sherlock Holmes. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I love
1: it. So, Do go on or dude go on? <laughs> Do go on. Okay. D-O-G-O. Dude. Oh go on. That's, that's amazing. Go on. Like, <laughs> <I know. laughs> Wanted to
0: clarify. Yeah, no, they're Australian, not Californian. Great. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but, yeah, I think that's it for me. Well, yeah. we hope you guys ha- enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Um, we hope you guys had...
1: Or are having a happy Thanksgiving? Oh, and I just wanted to say <laughs> too, like to get sentimental briefly, I'm thankful for the two of you, and then Aww, we do this podcast. I am too. Like, have 2017 has been kind of like a dud of a year in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, ways. <laughs> and like this has brought me so much joy doing this yes. show. <laughs> so
0: me too. I've expanded my horizons. I've Stephen read King. more. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely read more in the past three, four months yeah. that we've been doing this <laughs> than I have in quite some time. So I'm grateful. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Aww. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're going to wrap this up. So, obviously, we've given you a lot of recommendations already. Um, enjoy those. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to be back next week, hopefully, talking about Die Hard. Um so yeah, I'm excited for that. That's another way I'm going to expand my horizons.
1: I've never
2: seen any oh, Die Hard movies. yep, you are. I
1: am. A I am <laughs> I'm excited for <laughs> Alan Rickman. Yeah, I think I know. I'm past the point where I'm like, I'm not as sad every time Morning I see Helen
0: Rickman. I so I'll that. probably just enjoy it. I rewatched Sense and Sensibility this week.
1: No, oh. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not ready for that one yet. Yeah. baby uh, steps. Yeah, Die Hard will be a good baby step.
2: Yeah, good. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway. <laughs>
0: So, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're listening on iTunes, please listen, or rate, review, subscribe. I always want to say listen, rate, subscribe. i like, wait, they're too. already listening. Um, <laughs> listen more. Listen more. Uh, but, yeah, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Um, if you're listening on our website, popculture-footnotes yes that's it dot com <laughs> um please like and comment tell us what you think um you can also follow us on twitter at pc footnotes and on facebook facebook.com slash pop culture
1: put up some of these recommendations yes too, yeah so you can can access sure. them easier yes um
0: and if you have ideas for coming episodes that you want to see in 2018 or here in 2018 Um, please email them to us popculturefootnotes at gmail.com a big shout out to DJ PJ Preston Judd for writing our theme song and uh, I think that's it for us have a great holiday bye